city's been so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its cheers. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. When this podcast started, our first guest was Timber, the first Timber, excuse me, Mick Hoban. Today I'm happy to bookend that with the newest Timber coach, England International, the second guest we've had with a significant place in Manchester United history, and current Timber's head coach, Phil Neville. Phil, how are you? I'm good. Excited to have this interview. Good. I'm excited too. It's great. <laughs> so Phil was born, and correct me if I mispronounce or get anything wrong here, in Bury, England in 1977, and comes from a very high-achieving athletic family. An accomplished cricket player in his youth, Phil eventually went on to play 11 seasons at Manchester United, then another eight at Everton. Well, with the Red Devils under Sir Alex Ferguson, Phil won six Premier League titles, three FA Cups and Charity Shields, and the UEFA Champions League. Phil's time at Manchester United also includes the 1998-99 treble. In his time at Everton, Phil played under David Moyes and captained the Toffees from, I'm sorry, from 2007. An England international, Phil represented his country at three different youth levels and made 59 appearances with the senior side between 1996 and 2007. After playing Phil earned a UEFA Pro license and his coaching stops have included caretaker at Salford City FC and head coach of more widely known England women, where he coached the Lionesses to a 2019 She Believes Cup title and the 2019 Women's World Cup semifinal, as well as MLS's Inter-Miami CF. Before naming the Timbers, being named the Timbers head coach this November, Phil was an assistant with the Canadian men's national team. Off the field, Phil has worked extensively in media punditry with the BBC and Sky Sports. There's so much more. But I want to get to him. Welcome once more to Phil Neville. Good introduction. <laughs> Good, thank you. I did a lot. So I want to go back. Did you make all that up? Did I? I did. I did. And, you know, I could re-record it if you want to pay me a little bit and make it longer. <laughs> yeah, man. Be happy to. Um, no, I know I left a ton out, and I really want to talk about it. I want to go back um, a ways. I know sports, and especially soccer, were a big part of your family. Even before you played uh, with the youth side at Manchester United, what were the games like growing up between you and your siblings in your neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, people talk about those days as being the best days of your life. I think, I think for me, they were the best days, but they were the days that shaped me, shaped my life, really, in terms of uh, my mum my my and dad were obsessed with sport. My mum my, my was, was the soccer player. She, she was the first ever female to play in a boys team in my town in Bury, and, and they actually ended up banning her from playing and for her to play she had to get sort of like a, a, a boys haircut so then she could play because she was that good so so when people talk about oh you must have got it from your dad we, we got the soccer from my mum my, my, my dad was a cricket player obsessed with Manchester United so Every day we did something. My mum played football, she played now around as netball, my dad played cricket, we went to the football. So we grew up every single day. And what what, what happened was is that I obviously got a twin sister who, who is who's an international coach and my brother obviously is an international footballer, is that we were just like back garden, front lounge, side of the house, whatever. Obviously back in our day, we could just go out on the streets and just play football. We, we just played everything. Every sport going from, 
from, from chess to tiddlywinks to tennis to golf to badminton and uh, it gave us the most incredible rounded upbringing and challenges and uh, it was just, the, and I say it's, it shaped my life really. Always competitive, I'm guessing. Always, yeah. And do you know that the, the one thing is that me, my brother, and my sister are so competitive, but we had a rule in our house that we were never allowed to fall out when we, when we, when we and so we would, we would kick, kick each other, we would, we would fight on the training pitch, or whatever we were doing, we would be competitive. At the end of the game, there was always a, we always had to hug at the end of the game because, because my mum and dad were a big into like, you cannot fall out with your brother and sister. They, they're your blood, they're your best friends. So we've remained so close. And then, you know, when I went to Man United, me and my brother were fighting for the same spaces. We were fighting for the same jersey. And, and it was just, it was never an issue in our house. That's brilliant. So myself and a lot of people listening remember what it was like following local teams as a kid. Mm. For me, it was later iterations of the North American Soccer League Timbers. Yeah. Um, and then primarily the University of Portland and newer iterations of pre-Major League Soccer Timbers. And I'll ask a little more about Man United in a moment, but you just sort of talked about, and I know I mispronounced it, Bury? Bury, yeah. Bury. See, I Some people say Bury. Yeah. Some people say Bury, you know. Oh, so I want to be you, you pronounced it right. All right. So Bury FC, uh, what did your family do with that club? And what are some of the earlier memories you had around Gig Lane? Yeah, so my mum was the secretary, club secretary of Bury for 29 years. My dad was the commercial manager, so he would sort the sponsor, you know, the sponsors on the shirt. <laughs> The, the advertising walls around the outside, raise money for the football club. My my nan worked on a Saturday, my grandma worked on a Saturday on match days providing catering, you know, serving food to the sponsors in the sponsors lounge. My granddad worked on the car park for, I'd say like the VIP car park, so he would let people on and off. Uh, my aunties and uncles would work in the catering as well. So the whole, the whole like half the club was my family. The, the, the club was, was so special to us. My, my, my father, when he when he when he died, they named a stand after him. So it was the, it was the, it was Neville Stand, and uh, that club that club unfortunately hit really hard times, and it closed, and it's now just been uh, sort of like back to brought back to life. But that club, we used to travel everywhere watching them. My mum and dad were part of the fabric of the club, and uh, it was it, when people talk to me about sort of like Barry Football Club. Uh, it, it brings back sort of like the meaning of family because everyone within that football club there was obviously I had aunties, uncles, uh, my nan and grandmother, but everyone was the same. Everybody's family worked at Berry Football Club. So did that sort of sense of uh, belonging and, and family and maybe nostalgia play into your decision to um, get involved at Salford City? Yeah, yeah, it was, and it, it was funny because when we when we was coming to the end of our football career, is that. Uh, we, we all had our thing, we all, I was a manager, Gary was on TV, David was, was ruling the world and, and Ryan and Nicky was, was in management and we wanted to give something back to, and, and what we thought was, was to a community that had done so much for us and Salford is where we, where we joined Manchester United, the training ground is in Salford. Salford didn't have, or it had a football team, but it was in like the eighth tier, almost like semi-professional and, and we, we, got, we got speaking to it was the chair lady at the time called Karen, a, a, an incredible woman, and 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 they had fourteen life members who were funding the club at the time, and and they just put in some floodlights for like fourteen fourteen thousand dollars, and uh, 
they sold the club to us for fourteen thousand dollars. The cost of the lights. The cost of the lights, and and the rule was is that they wanted the lifelong members to to remain lifelong. So and Karen remained the chair lady, and so so even to this day those members are and we're now in the football league. We're a professional club with a brand new stadium, uh, new training facility, and and it was. I'd say in terms of my life in professional football, that's probably the, my greatest achievement in terms of giving something back to a community. We've now got a community programme that helps all kinds of diverse programmes and stuff like that. And even though I'm in Portland and I'm out of it and, you know, the boys are still working hard back there. And, and what we said was is that we will all have our own thing in our lives, but eventually we'll all come back to that is our foundation our cornerstone and if if anything happens in america i will go back to salford and work within the club there so it's it's, it's so special it's exactly how family and hometown works right? yeah, yeah it's yeah. a great foundation to have and you followed um this is where i'm gonna you, you followed man united as a kid your family followed them you went to games there with your dad and brother Maybe your mom and sister, I'm not sure. On a Saturday, we would go and watch the football and my mum and my sister would go and play a a sport called netball, which is which is like basketball but without the bouncing. I knew nothing about netball until I researched this interview. And now I know it's fantastic. What a great game. Great game. So my my question is then is I mean, what sticks out to you from the days of following the club before you actually signed with them? Do you know the, the the big thing that used to stick out was is that the team never used to win. You know, Man United uh, never used to win titles. Liverpool were the best team at that time, and but but they had one player, and they had one player who was captain called Brian Robson, who was England captain, Manchester United captain, and I was there the day he signed, and he was he was my hero, and every time I used to go and watch Manchester United, I, I it was I only went to watch Manchester United, and if he played, I felt safe. I felt as if there was. Because I loved that club, I felt as if there was a heartbeat on the pitch that would fight for me as a supporter. And uh, it's funny then, eight, nine years later, I walked into a dressing room and Brian Robson was there. And still to this day, Brian Robson is my hero. And there have been many heroes in the world since then. Uh, My brother invited Brian Robson onto his, we call it stag do, where before you get married, you go away and and you have a drink. And he invited Brian Robson and me, my dad and my brother, Ryan and we just we were all Brian Robson was our hero and he came and he was it was just like you know you just if he walked in the room now I would be speechless and and I say I know him he's a family friend he's just someone that when he walks in the room it's just when I see Man United I think of Brian Robson you know and a figurehead of the club someone that fought through adversity when the club was losing to Liverpool all those years and you know, I, I think back to great teams now, you know, and every club seems to have someone that the supporters can always relate to as part of, he's one of us. Uh, and and that's, that was my memory. Yeah, I want to um, deviate a little bit from the questions I had here because uh, I want to I go off that because how does that happen in Major League Soccer, right? Because it was a matter of access, right? Yeah, you, yeah. Have a, you grow up and there's, for one thing, generations, but on the other hand, um, you know, it's access. And I know the early Timbers in this 1975, they were out building the sport mm-hmm. because here people didn't know the sport, the sport was at all. It was like, it was their netball, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're out <laughs> building the sport, getting involved. And I think it helped those players feel like, you know, the fans are behind us because they know, they know, they know what we're about, that access. You can't do that in 2024. But how do you, how do you build something that deep? Well, 
I mean, you look at Portland Timbers, Diego Chara is is that probably for a lot of Timbers, Timbers Army mm-hmm. supporters, is that when, when they turn up to Providence Park and Diego Chara's playing, there is a sense of connection, there's a sense of he's one of us, there's a sense of if he's playing we have a chance of winning today, because we know that Diego will fight for this football club. And and I feel I feel as if uh, now in the MLS, because the academy systems are growing and, and they're getting so much better, is is that you know I brought six players through into Miami. Those players lived, breathed, died for into Miami. Now, now we will bring kids through at Portland Timbers, and when you are at Portland uh, Timbers Academy player, and then you get into the first team, you bleed the blood because because that's what you do. Your family, your generations have all been Timber supporters. So I think in the MLS it's harder, but I think I think there are still incredible examples of players that have really nailed their flag to the mast and said, right, he is a Portland Timbers player. And I think with Diego Chara, we've probably got the biggest figurehead in MLS soccer that's been this club, been successful at this club and is, is a representation of the supporters on the on the football field and that's what Brian Robson was to me. Right. And that you, makes sense. Yeah, in a perfect sense and I appreciate that even uh, since you've been here your contract started I think January first. You've already signed six home runs, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is huge, right? Because yeah, that's exactly what the this morning we had they're on the field. Three, four home runs yeah. on the field and you know you look at Sawyer, you think Sawyer, you look at the photo when he you know the photo that we released when yeah. he and you think that kid's going to die for this football club. Why? Because he's in, you cut him open, he's got green blood. Yeah. And, and that is a figurehead. That's somewhere where the Timbers Army can relate to that kid. Do you know what I mean? So, and it, what it does, it gives those kids in Portland the, the aspirations to be, I might one day be like Sawyer. You know? We have a guy named Chris Brown who's a more than once over Major League Soccer champion from the mm-hmm. earlier days who grew up here and had some of the, the NASL or post-NASL Timbers things. the same sort of thing. So since you've been in Portland, I've got to ask if you've been able to meet a guy named Willie Anderson yet. He's a former Timber. I don't know if the name rings a bell. It's no, before I our time. No, so he yet. was here in 1975. He came up in Man United with George Best, and he was the first substitute used in association football. Seriously? He signed on for Dennis, or subbed on for Dennis Law in the 1965 Charity Shield 2-2 to Liverpool. Wow. And then in 75, he was here uh, in Portland, so he's still around. Right. So if you... If you hear the name Willie oh, Anderson, yeah, you get to yeah, meet him. He's, he's one of you. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a red and a green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, the great thing about him was, um, and I hate to take some time to retell the story if anybody's listened, they've heard him tell it on this, but since he was the first substitute used, right, and that was back when they, he didn't have a number, but then it was number 12 was the substitute, yeah. right? So he came here for Portland, and his third game for Portland, or sorry, four, he, he came four games into the season because he's playing for Cardiff City, Welsh Cup. He gets in the locker room, they throw him the number 12, Right, because here in, in America, it didn't matter what number you had, what yeah. your position was, and he got really angry because he's like, "I didn't come all the way to bloody America to be a substitute." <gasps> and they're like, "No, no, that's your number. Yeah, that's yeah. your number, Willie." Yeah, so yeah. So, how did you end up with United, and what what was it like your first years uh, as a youth? And can you talk about that transition breaking into the first team with you know some other club legends? Yeah, well, I I uh, I was offered to go to a trial when I was uh, ten years of age, and and I couldn't go because I was playing cricket at the time for for England, so uh, Manchester United thought that I didn't want to play football, and my brother was at United at the time. Six months later, I go I go to the training facility to watch my brother train, and there's an assistant coach there called Brian Kidd, and he came over, spoke to my dad, he said, oh, Philip, Philip didn't come to the trials, does he not want to be a footballer? And, he, and I said, well, he just couldn't come, he was away for two weeks playing cricket, and he said, oh, so would he join? And he said, yeah, of course he would. He said, 
I'll give him, as he got his boots, said, oh, boots from the car. And he said, come and train now. So I, I had started training that day. Uh, when you're 12 to 16, you're still at school, you're, grow, you're growing up, you're maturing, and you never think for one minute that you was going to play football for Manchester United. At 16, I joined uh, on uh, an apprenticeship in the academy uh, for two years. And uh, after a year, I was in the youth team, I was progressing well, and I, was, I thought I was pretty good, but the, the, the first team just seemed a million miles away. And then I played a youth team game on a Wednesday night. And on the Friday, I, I was in the dressing room with the youth team players, and the manager came around to Alex Ferguson and said, oh, why don't you come and train with the first team today just for experience? So I went to the first team train, and he said, you know what, you know, come tomorrow, come tomorrow to uh, travel with the team. Sometimes he would take young, young kids with the team, help the kit man with the skips, and, not, and just for experience. So we turned up the next day, and we was playing Man City, it was the biggest rivalry. And we were at a hotel, having our pre-match meal, and I was just totally relaxed and chilled and enjoying the exp experience with some of my heroes. And then it was a team meeting, and he named the team, and he went, Peter Spikely in goal, left-back Phil Neville. And literally my heart just dropped, and I was named in the starting eleven. And I'd say I've got one of the best memories in terms of every game I've played in my career, I can remember everything. It's the one game I cannot remember us at anything in that game. The only thing I remember in the game was is that we won. We won the game. And at night, me, my mum and my dad went for a, an Italian uh, to celebrate. I, I don't remember anything about the game other than the fact that when he named the team, the rest is a blur. That's it. Yeah. And that was, uh, how did that game end up? We won. We won 3-1. 3-1. Yeah. That's brilliant. That was after you got a little taste with Wrexham. Again, the Wrexham, right? There was an Open Cup game. Yeah. Or not Open Cup, sorry. The FA, FA, Cup. FA Cup, yeah. FA Cup, yeah. Unbelievable. Did you beat your brother into the first side? No. No, no he, he, he played before. He's two years old. He's two years oh, old. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is a bit of a longer question, so uh, bear with me and you can take it wherever you want. Um, with United, you came through what's known as the Class of 92, often referred to as part of Fergie's fledglings. Yourself, your brother, you've mentioned David Beckham, Nicky Butt, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes. How incredible is it now, looking back, seeing how that group not only came through together, but also took a storied club like Man United to unprecedented heights? And that includes the 98-99 treble I talked about earlier, um, which is still to this day the only treble won by an English side of that kind. What's it like moving through the freedom of youth with, with your mates and coming of age, elevating a club with that much history? Um, kind of all with that backdrop of 90s culture shaping England and the world. It was a transitional time there yeah. as well. Can you speak to that, that experience as well and in the context of it's your family's favorite club too? It, it was, and, and same, like me and my brother, my, my, my father was the biggest Manchester United supporter. Nicky Butt's dad was the biggest Manchester United supporter. David Beckham's dad, uh, his biggest, his, he was the biggest Manchester United supporter. Scholes it, Manchester United. So it was just, it was just incredible. And... You know, I, I feel so lucky that I I came through with my brother, you know, like to play with my brother, to compete with my brother, to play football, to make my debut with my brother was, was incredible, both for England and Manchester United, but to do it with four or five other brothers, even though we were best friends, but we've been brothers all our life, we speak every day, I, mean, I had 15 texts after training today from the class of 92, we're all in a group WhatsApp, and we speak every single day about things, and... To, to go through that together, it just it felt like a dream. It didn't feel real, it felt surreal. And 
Can you imagine going to work every single day? And this is where I feel really lucky is I went to work every day with my best friends and people that you'd say were your brothers. And I did have my brother. And every single day we went to work and we had fun every single day. It was just like, it was like being in third grade. Every, you know, you're going to school and, you, and that's what it was like. We, we won together, we lost together, we, we, we suffered massive ups and downs together. We, we all got married together. We all had children at the same time. We, we bought houses and cars. The first, the first club car that we was given, Sir Alex brought all five of us in and he gave us the same car, the same colour. And it's like, we, we just did everything together. And uh, you know, it, it, went, it went deeper than just having you as a teammate. It, this was a brotherhood. And this was something that, like even to this day, when we see each other, speak to each other, it's just, I've got, I've got people that I can rely on and can trust and that love me like brothers and, and like I say to you think about that football club that football club was built on young players so Matt Busby brought through a young set of players uh, after the car crash after the plane crash in, in 19, 1958 the club was born you know, the whole club was destroyed it was born on young players and then Sir Alex Ferguson comes in and starts bringing through young players, and then young players in in '68 won the European Cup, and in '99 won the won the won the European Cup, and it was just it's just the history of that club is is investing in youth, trusting youth, and giving youth an opportunity, and uh, you know, and I was part of that. I was part. I, I I was lucky that I had a manager that believed in youth and trusted us, and and I went to work every day with my best friends and my brother. That's brilliant. And I think for people that do listen to this podcast, I know it's more of a telling the stories of the people who are involved in the club type thing, not so much a new media mm -hmm. thing. I still think it's important that, you know, the first six signings that came up here were youth players, yeah. right? And so we're seeing I believe the in. same seeds. Honestly, I believe in it. I always think that, that there's one thing I really believe in is, is that young people never let you down. If you give them the opportunity, and, and that's, that's not just in soccer, I think in business, in walk of life, is that if you give young people opportunities, they, and you believe in them, and that's important, they will never let you down. And uh, that's my philosophy. And so uh, we've sort of talked about whether something like that could happen, but I do want to talk about, I guess, the end of that, that great moment because you ended up going to Everton, Yeah. right? Can you talk through that move a little bit? That, that, and that, how that happened? That move was, it was one of the toughest things I ever had to do professionally because it's, it, it was almost like a divorce, you know, and you, you, you're, you're that much in love with something or someone and then all of a sudden you've got to go and, go and play for another team was, was really hard to take, but I had to make that move. I had to make that move for me. Uh, the way it was handled was incredible. One of my, the one of the greatest learning experiences I've ever done. You know, in terms of like one of the the toughest and most brutal thing is leave, losing leaving the club that I loved. The way it was handled was unbelievable. The strikes folks and invited me around to his house. I had a cup of tea with him and his wife and my brother, and we talked. And he talked about me, the person. And he and, and, and bearing in mind, Manchester United employed probably a thousand people and he has to manage all them he actually took time to care about me and that was his biggest strength he cared about the people that he worked for and he managed and uh, I moved to Everton and the good thing was is that I, I became a player I, I, I it was almost like leaving home you leave home you start fly, flying a little bit more and I played for a manager that gave me so much trust and, and really demanded demanded so much on me, he wanted my experience, he wanted my quality, he wanted my leadership skills and, and I, I feel as if then 
I became I became a man a little bit. I was very protected at Manchester United and at Everton. I had equally as good a time at Everton as what I did at Manchester United, and that's the biggest compliment I can pay for David Moyes in Everton Football Club. So I'm curious how, because you moved to that and you became the captain rather quickly, but you weren't immediately received well as mm. someone who came in from Man United. Yeah, yeah. How, did it, how did you go about earning the trust of your, your teammates? You yeah, already well, had a few manager, and then yeah. how does that transfer to coming into the team? I wasn't, I wasn't received. I wasn't received well, but, but, but I, I, I made a real strong choice as I wanted to do this, and, and, and there was doubts. And, and what I... What I decided to do, or what is in my makeup, is is that is, is that there's a, I'm going to prove you guys. And how did I do that? I just worked my socks off every single day. I was my I was true to myself every single day, and 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 every single day was a challenge. And then all of a sudden you you're taking down the bricks. And then after six months, people realise that that you're actually a nice person and you're a good player and that you're one of them. And uh, I think I think when you go into new environments, there is that there is that period when you've got to prove yourself. And you've got to stand up, and you've got to prove yourself, and you've got to you've got to deliver. And that was the period at Everton where I had to deliver. And it's no different when I come into Portland Timbers. There's that the first day you've got to come in, and that first meeting, the first contact with the players, you've got to deliver. And because if you don't, the doubts start creep, creeping in. And and I think that's the challenge that anyone has going into any kind of new environment. Yeah, and I I definitely say that here, um, if you know if you you hear. You work hard. You're true to the you know the work mm. and the people, the game. Uh, the supporters are there. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So let me just I, you know I've got one more here if that's all right. Yeah. Um, a moment ago I asked you about playing for Man United in the in the '90s, and that was a period of change for modern football and a period of growth for the English game um, in the U.S. with television access. Right. Like for yeah. me, I'm the same age. I'm a few years older than you, but yeah. right there, right. I'm the same age as the, the Timbers. I'm 49. Um, that's a that's a that's kind of a, a key demographic right now. But also, um, as we're moving into our fiftieth season, you'll be the you'll be the head coach here next season for the fiftieth anniversary. That's not as long a history as Manchester United, but it's significant for American soccer to have fifty years of soccer. What do you think about that when you think of context and history and, and leading this franchise into what's going to be its as big a milestone as there is in American soccer at the moment? Fifty yeah. years. Yeah. Well, I, I think. I came from an MLS club that was only a year old. Like when I joined Inter Miami, it was a year old. Mm. And when I come into Portland Timbers, in terms of sort of like history, it's night and day. You know, Inter Miami had no history. You know, they're a new club, they're an expansion team, and that that was strange in a way. You know, there was there was nothing behind it. There was no infrastructure. There was no. There was only a, a temporary stadium. There was. There was no results from the past to fall back on. There was no great players, you know. And I'd come from two great clubs that had, uh, that played for two great clubs. That the history was part of the fabric of the club. So we almost at Inter Miami had to build. We had to build something. We had to build a culture, a fabric. We had to make history. The, the trophy cabinet was clear. You know, I come to this football club, and you can. The first thing you think, you, you see and feel is you. You smell history. There, there are former players. There are. Retired shirts. There are there are people up in the in in the in the rafters, uh, and so so for me so for me this this football club smells of history, tradition. There's a culture. Uh, there's a way of playing. There's a way of behaving, uh, and that I think suits me. You know because then 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 you've got certain levels of accountability. There's certain levels that you have to live up to. I think when I first signed, 
is that, and I met the Timbers Army and, and, and we had a real open and frank uh, discussion. And, and, and the history with Seattle, the history with this Cascadia Cup, there's this history there that's it's so important to this group of supporters. Now, into Miami, there was, there was none of that. So, so for me, when I come in here, there, there's a lot of things that's expected of me because that's been part of our history. And when I come in here and I, you know, I spoke to Caleb and I spoke to Gio, is this that they've been successful at this football club. So, the, so they, they pass on their experiences of what's, what's needed, what's the expectation here. So, so for me, that shows the level of this football club. I think, honestly, I think there is no fan base like, like Portland Timbers fan base in the whole of the MLS. Atlanta might get sixty thousand, but I don't think I don't think they match our intensity of our fan base, the passion of our fan base, the history of our fan base, the demands of our fan base, and that's what drew me to this football club. Brilliant, Bill. Thank you so okay? much. Yeah, of course that's good. Well, that's good. I'd have you all day. Like I said, you. you don't leave till tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks so thank much. You Appreciate much. it. Thank you. You ain't got to be two hundred pounds or a giant at seven three. To play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly. You can hear it on the radio, you will see it on TV. But when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's be all of the boys, let's cheer for the Portland.